0: Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2020. As you know, every week it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and their financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to part two of a discussion between Paul Benson and myself. If you haven't listened to part one, please take a moment to do so. Paul and I take a deep dive in the the journey of becoming business owners, the fears that we have, the ideas and experiences that we go through. And let me tell you, there's tons of emotions and influences that go into somebody starting their own business, whether it's a financial services, uh, financial planning business, or whether it's making a new widget that everybody might be interested in. Please listen to part one if you haven't done so and see. Sit on back enjoy 2020 set your intentions for a wonderful year and we look forward to some very exciting changes coming up in 2020 stay tuned i don't know if you went through similar um you know feelings or it's interesting that
1: i mean you mentioned the two-year time period i think certainly i can remember very you know getting started and just being so excited to have my own office and have my own direction and not have a manager that I had to report to every week and that sort of stuff um, absolutely loved it and I can certainly remember some conversations with with colleagues that were still back in uh, employee land you know raving about how much I was loving it so that was certainly the case for the early months uh, and and as I say, we got a little bit of traction through existing clients and that sort of stuff. So it was ticking over all right, but I can't recall exactly when, but certainly 12, 18 months in, I guess I could see that the organic growth was was really slow going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I started to get concerned about if this is going to get us to where I need, you know, as a family and and, and what we want to achieve. I certainly started to have some concerns and then I guess I raised that with, with this um, this person who ultimately I bought the business off and, you know, that took a while to, to sort of bear fruit. But mm-hmm. um, but I guess that then gave me new energy and excitement and I could see that the, the potential for this business and I could see how he'd grown it and, and I, I was sharing an office with him for most of that time so I had a good sense of it and, Mm -hmm. whilst I didn't necessarily get introduced to the clients you know I saw the clients coming through so I had a sense of who they were and what they were like and and a feeling that that I could connect with them Mm -hmm. Uh, and so yeah so then there was a whole lot of excitement looking forward to this point of, of acquiring this business and of course there was a lot of you know contracts back and forth and bits and pieces to make that all happen and then yeah, you had the GFC type 2008, yeah. share market's terrible, uh, just as I've taken over a business and I kind of at the, uh, like I became the owner on the 1st of July 2008 and at that point the share market was down 30%. So I was kind of hoping, well, look, hopefully I'm, it's down 30%. Surely that's enough. Like I'm, maybe <laughs> I'm getting in at the bottom and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be roses from here and, of course, that's not the way it played out. It kept on going down. Uh, and look, there were some challenging times and even, I mean, share markets bottomed March, 2009, but, but they were still low for a long time and certainly lower than I guess my forecasts and uh, had, had, had predicted and to buy the business. Of course I had to borrow to do that, which meant I had loan commitments and and the bank certainly wasn't sympathetic to, uh, (laughs) to, uh, markets going down. I still had to meet my repayments and, um, So so psychologically, that was the toughest time, I would say, a few years in, having made that acquisition, having taken on a lot of debt to do it, and then finding things were pretty tough. And I think uh, a couple of things got me through. I mean, to to a degree, I I was committed. I was really all in. So Mm -hmm. the option of just saying, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go back and get a job. Well, yeah, but you've got all this debt and how's that going to, the, the business was probably unsellable or certainly not sellable for what I'd paid for it. So mm-hmm. so it, it, I really, you know, I was the boat out in the ocean and, and, and there was no <laughs> going back. So, so so that was part of it. But, but I think, I mean, at one point I, I very distinctly recall having a, a discussion with my wife about the fact that, look, we might need to sell the house here mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, if we sell the house, we can get the debt down and maybe we have to rent mm-hmm. for a while and, and That was a pretty unpleasant discussion, and I I recall sort of rolling it around in my head for a while before sitting down with my wife and talking about that because it wasn't something that I even wanted to raise, and and mm-hmm. of course I felt responsible for putting us in this position,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and so that was that uh, was not good, but but she was fantastic, and um, much to my relief, and was sort of well, that's okay if, if we have to sell the house, that's all right. She was far. I don't know if she's putting on a brave face, but she was far less stressed about it than I was. Um, so that was an enormous relief. And, and also as part of that, and, and I've, I've used this several times since, and, and I, I certainly recommend it for listeners, is when you are facing a bit of adversity, to actually sit down and work through worst-case scenarios. So, yeah. all right, if this just totally all, you know, goes down the toilet, how do things look? and all right here's as bad as it looks you know we lose the house bang 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 here's what it looks like all right what are we going to do next and then you go okay well then what i do next is this and this and this and then actually you sort of look at it and go well that's not terrible there's plenty of people in worse situation than us so all right we sell the house we pay off the bulk of the debt um i've still got a business there i've still got income Even if for some reason I didn't have the business, I know I could go back and get a job. In fact, the the, the bank that I left had had asked me a couple of times about coming back. Um, So I knew I could get a job that would pay reasonably well. It it, it was just helpful, I guess, rather than the negative thoughts rolling around in your head and sort of recycling in your head. For me, it's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning and just lying in bed and they just go around and around in your head. To actually sort of put things down on paper or a whiteboard or whatever, and, and just nut through. Okay, here's what would actually happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and if if you can work through that worst case scenario and be confident that look, I hope it doesn't get to that, but if it does, actually, you know, we, we, we'll be bad. okay. Yeah, that was really helpful for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I've discovered at this point in time. So you know, fast forward to to where I am right now. I, I caught myself the other day saying um, I think I'm unemployable at this point. Like, Hmm. you know, that, that, like like thinking about the flexibility that I have. I mean, you know, here, here I am. Um, I sometimes come in at 9 30. I sometimes come in at 10 o'clock. I, you know, if I have a late client meeting the next morning, I I might not, you know, um, if I have a dentist appointment, I go to the dentist appointment. If I want to take my nephews for a couple hours, I take my nephews for a couple, I go to Florida for the winter, you know, I come back up here and, and I'm in this beautiful Finger Lakes area in, in the summer and spring and fall and that kind of flexibility to have to give that up is virtually unemployable at this point yeah. in time right so uh, what keeps me motivated um you know because as your business grows you do have those additional stressors that sort of come on like when you hire somebody now you're not just responsible for your income you're responsible yes. for their income you know um you, you know those kinds of things start to set in a little bit but the the motivation to keep going and to keep growing a little bit it becomes twofold one is that you don't now you've, now you're okay. You know, yep. you're, you're, the bills are being paid everything, you know, the house hasn't been sold. And, and so now it's like, okay, we're, we're okay. Um, we just have to make sure that everybody else that's part of the firm is okay too. The clients are okay. The staff is okay. Um, but the thought of going back to work for a corporation at this point in time is just that it would, at this point in my life, uh, yes that's the worst case scenario but to me that's that's strangling
1: yeah um, but it, but it's a good point it's a good step off that you've touched on there i guess that we spoke to this point about the challenges that we both faced in moving mm-hmm. to self-employment but of course the reason that we've wanted to go there is the freedom and the flexibility mm-hmm. um, both particularly lifestyle but also financial as well potentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's why we've made that move and yeah like mm-hmm. you i'm i'm extremely glad to have made that move. And it has been fantastic. I mean, you've touched on a few things there, being able to go to Florida in the winter. I can certainly (laughs) appreciate how that would be pretty lovely. What are some of the other uh, things that make you the most happy about being self-employed?
0: Yeah, I think developing people too. I think that's really been a lot of fun in my way, developing people my way, you know, like bringing in somebody who's really green in the profession and saying to them, you don't have to worry about selling. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, getting a group of clients. You have to worry about learning the financial planning profession. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to learn about it by going out there and, and, you know, just trying to sell as much mutual funds or annuities or whatever life insurance, whatever it is. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that for people that enjoy it. I'm just simply saying that, you know, our profession that has traditionally been how people have gotten into it. And I have the luxury, of changing that with at least a small, you know, number of people, and that that's extremely exciting to me. And so, the more I can grow the business, the more I have the opportunity to touch and show that our profession isn't uh, what it isn't the image that it has developed over the years. And and you guys have, you know, one thing that I've always been very perf- um, impressed about is that Australia has always been a, a leader when it comes to the fiduciary standard and um, you, you had things far before in place, far before the United States really started to transition things and, and Europe does too. Um, I'd love to, I, I know that's not the, the business side of it necessarily, but I I'd love to, to just chat for a few moments about that aspect of things. Cause I think it's interesting how much further ahead you are than we are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not fully across the intricacies of, of how things work in the U.S., but certainly it, it has been, there's been a real evolution here in terms of financial planning. Uh, certainly when I started, it was largely commission-based. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's why in the bank days, of course, banks produced products. And so the reason that they employed planners was to sell their products, uh, which is very different to actually the role of a financial planner, which is about advising clients and helping them achieve their goals. Um, but, but that's been an evolution. And when I started in 2000, well, beg your pardon, I left in 2006, so I started in 1999. Does that sound right? Yeah, that would be right. Um, you know, that wasn't what the role was, I guess. As I say, the role mm-hmm. was banks produce product. We need people yeah. that are able to sell those products. And so that's what you're employed to do. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a lot of years, but it's been a real change to the point where. These days, and I, I can't think, it's probably five or six years ago now, uh, anything investment related, whether that's retirement type savings or just straight investments, there's there's no commissions. They're, they're banned, they're outlawed. Um, there's still commissions on the insurance side of things. Uh, and Who knows, maybe that will change one day, but mm-hmm. no one's pushing for that too hard. But certainly on the investment side of things, there's no commissions. So so that means that uh, clients can can have a great, Great sense of, or not a sense of. They, there's, there's clarity, there's transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, they know exactly what's going on, um, and indeed, I mean, to some extent, the the amounts of disclosure that we have to do, it, it's almost
0: <laughs> well. That I think is pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, you disclose it and disclose
1: it and disclose it <laughs> to the point where sometimes I actually think it, it makes it less clear than if it was just disclosed once and clearly. But anyway, mm-hmm. th- that's that's where we're at. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean that things have been perfect and and we had a a royal commission here that was mainly looking into banking but financial planning came into it and at the individual financial planner level it wasn't too bad but at the sort of big institutional level um, it certainly shone a light on some practices that weren't very good um, particularly around uh, them charging, uh, charging clients fees and not Mm -hmm. doing no or little work for those fees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the positive out of that is that now a lot of the the big institutions have decided to get out of financial planning altogether, which is great (laughs) uh, because they've decided that we're we're good at manufacturing product and we're not very good at giving advice and and it's advice that is a financial planner's role. And so the big institutions are getting out, which is good, Um, and I think financial planning is Uh, has improved a lot in terms of uh, you know being a profession Um, and and I think it's only going to get better there's more changes to come and some increases in educational standard uh, requirements to become licensed and some of these sort of things which are all good changes so yeah I I wouldn't say we're certainly not perfect uh, but there's been some good changes over the last five or six years in particular Mm. uh, and there's a few more changes to come over the next couple of years and and the the whole upshot of all of that is that increasingly I think people have more confidence in seeking out advice that the advice they're going to receive is is quality advice and impartial advice. It's not, you know, funnily enough, if you go to a bank, you're going to walk out with a bank product if a product is what you need. But if you can just go and see a standalone financial planner, a lot of the times the work we do, there is no product. You know, the work right. we're doing is around financial modelling and, Right, um, you know, how we can achieve certain objectives and goals. And so uh, the more people get accustomed to the fact that that's the role of a financial planner, the better. And uh, increasingly, I think that that's where we're, that's where we're yeah. getting to. And,
0: and that's where you're just so much further <laughs> in, you know, in, in, ahead of the curve um, than we are for sure. What do you think um, sort of changing subjects for just a moment? Um, what was the, what was, what was the moment that you said, Oh my gosh, I've succeeded. Do you recall? Look, we had,
1: how long ago would this have been? I just can't think now. But about six years ago-ish, my family and I had six weeks in Europe uh, as a holiday. Oh. And that felt pretty good. For one, that we could afford that. But for two, that I had some staff here that meant that the business had grown to the point that I could be away for six weeks. Yeah. And particularly I've got a really good uh, sort of right-hand man uh, in, in Tristan and he's very capable and I have a lot of confidence in him and so he was checking my work emails because I didn't, you know, I'm not on holidays if I'm checking my emails every day, but mm-hmm. I had a, like a private email address and I just said, look, keep an eye on them but if there's something that you're really stuck on, then mm-hmm. forward it to my private one and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll deal with it or I'll tell you how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, we were away for six weeks and I think he forwarded two emails to me.
0: Oh, wow. That's so that was, great. That
1: was excellent. You know, you <laughs> can actually have a proper holiday because that is a challenge as no doubt you will have faced and mm-hmm. for, for, for the listeners that are thinking about going to self-employment in those early years, it's very hard to take a break because you're it
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and you really have to be there. Um, 365 days a year or at the very least 52 weeks of the year Yeah, Um,
0: it's
1: difficult (laughs) so certainly yeah in terms of I don't know that I sort of consciously sat back and wow I've succeeded but (laughs) reflecting on it that was a key point that I could take the family on a significant holiday and actually be away from the business and the business was fine yeah how about you What, what What? when did you that sort of tick over for you?
0: Um, Well, I'm not to that level yet. (laughs) Although I think I could be, it's a matter of me getting comfortable with it. The team that we have now is extraordinary. And I honestly think that if I went on vacation, they could handle things pretty, pretty well. I I just have to get comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But I do remember um, I had, uh, I had written a, like a little book called um, Up Your Finances. So it's just a it's not a very long book. I meant it to be very short because finances are already confusing and I wanted it to be very very small and easy to read and um, and I had been doing the podcast for a while, so I used some of the things from the podcast to write that book and I remember getting a phone call from a client who was super, super excited because she had been out on Amazon and she happened to come across my book.
1: Fantastic.
0: (laughs) And she said, I'm showing it to all my friends and telling them, this is my financial advisor. And that was the moment that I felt like, you know, this is going to be okay. That's, you know, that um, I'm, I'm helping people in ways that I didn't necessarily set out to intend to do it, but I am, and I'm doing it in a scalable way at the same time. So people that need more, you know, data, they need more, um, hands-on care then they're going to come to me. But even for those people that won't do that, I've got some things out there that they, they, some tools out there that they can go to. And, and that's when I felt like, um, okay, You know, this is, this is a successful business. This is a successful, um, career. Um, you know, I'm going, I'm going to be, this is going to be good. You know, this is all good. And, and it really, I remember it just feeling like that's what success feels like right there. That, that proud client, the, the fact that the client was proud, to work with me and was sharing it with all her friends over a 50 some page book. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was my moment.
1: Yeah. No, congratulations. I, yeah. I could totally appreciate that. That's fantastic. And it is, I think when it's your own business too, cause yeah, certainly for me, an important source of new clients is existing clients recommending mm-hmm. you Yeah, and it's much Easier to make that happen when you're clearly the head of the business, and the the business practices and the way that you do things is is because you know you you or I have decided that that's the way they should be done. So therefore, the business that you're running and the things that you're doing really reflect your values and your view of the world. Um,
0: It's core, core. And therefore, if
1: yeah, you're not going to appeal to everybody, and it's not going to gel with everybody. But for the people that you do gel with. Um, I think they can see that this is really genuine and and mm-hmm. thorough and ingrained, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I think that makes them more uh, comfortable recommending you to others because they know mm-hmm. where you're coming from and the motivations and and, and these sort of things. It's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that.
0: I, I think um, you know for for people that are thinking about doing this, the one the one thing I really, if you're on the fence with it, the one thing that I really think you need to ask yourself, and this. This was said to me and it just kind of came to me as we were sitting here talking was um you know we'll, we'll often tell ourselves that we can't afford to do this we can't afford to start our own business you know that's a barrier often right mm-hmm. and the thing that that kind of cued me was that i knew emotionally i couldn't afford not to Girl. i i couldn't i was so unhappy and and i and i kept you know again as i said early on i knew that something was missing along the way I, I always thought you know wouldn't it be nice if wouldn't it be nice if wouldn't it be nice mm. if and there was no model out there and I think that's the key if you're starting your own business look for your authentic model yeah. look for what you're missing you know what is it that you can't find if you if you've hopped from employer to employer to employer, and you still can't find that perfect employer because they don't do it quote unquote your way, then there's probably an opportunity there. right? So that's the fence you can kind of jump over and say, all right, but am I going to, am I going to be unsuccessful um, emotionally at the same time? And I'm not saying jump into it without forethought, but I am saying don't let, we we can all make changes. Brett and I cut back on everything. I mean everything. We sat down with our credit card statements and our bank statements and we like put marks through almost like all the discretionary spending because it was that important to us that we create this new environment that we would be successful at. And our, maybe maybe my successful moment is the moment that I actually said, I have enough money to go get a pedicure again. <laughs> <laughs> it was that simple. <laughs> all right I can add something back in that I really love
1: (laughs) actually so on that all those things that you cut out so the pedicures come back in but have all of those expenses come back in or are there something you found in the process actually you really don't need
0: now yeah there was there's quite a few that have never come back into our lives that were convenience they were um you know, a lot of it was convenience because we were working such crazy hours and we had no flexibility. So it was just it was big convenience items. Um the things that we spend money on now are the things that we love. You know, there's there's never um an empty um wine rack in my house and we we have, you know, two beautiful locations that we get to spend our time. That's where our money is committed and you know, other than those little tiny things like a pedicure, um, you know, I, we really did not add, we we realized that we didn't miss it as much as we thought we were going to. And that's made it, um, I think, an easier transition too, because, you know, when you cut out certain things and, you know, we ate out a lot, again, that's a convenience thing. Um, You know, we would take vacations uh, just to get the stress level down where now, um, yeah there's stress i don't wanna I don't wanna sugarcoat this, but um I can just go for a walk if I need to and not yeah. have to um explain to somebody that I just need thirty minutes by myself you know um you know th- there is a lot I don't know if you experience the same thing, but there's a lot that we never did at Beckham.
1: yeah yeah I think um yeah <laughs> the flexibility has been the key for me around the benefits of self-employment i think like my boys now are 17 and 14 and even now there's still a little bit of running around but they're obviously far more independent but when they were younger um, Uh the ability to for a long time there there was one day a week that i I knocked off at three o'clock i needed to pick Mm -hmm. the kids up from school and take Mm. a son to a particular uh, he was was he doing guitar lessons at the time and you know over the years there's been different things basketball and you know I've coached there and that sort of stuff and some of those things you need to finish up earlier than I guess if you're an employee you necessarily could and um, even just being able to go to awards days or athletic carnivals and those sort of things and just have that flexibility uh, has been really really good and and probably also So that's on the family side. I guess on the professional side, something that, like I I always enjoyed financial planning and I certainly found once I hit on that profession through the bank and um, that that was certainly something that I wanted to do long term and and Mm -hmm. I knew it was was me, it fitted me. But I also, these days, and I'm sure you would be the same, we we wear two hats. We're the financial planner but we're also the business owner. And as the business owner, you've got to think about as you say, things like wages and, and basic mm. overheads, um, financial controller, but you've also got to think about marketing and things, things like podcasts yeah. and the like. Um, yeah. There's different elements to being a business owner and I really like wearing those two hats. I, I think to, to had I been a financial planner as an employee and, and tried to do that for 30 years, I, I probably would have, mm-hmm. you know, gone around the twist a bit. Whereas mm-hmm. being able to have the two elements to, to enjoy the financial planning but to spend time working on the business mm-hmm. uh, I very much enjoy as well so so for me that was important um, and, and, a, and a good reason for me to have to have moved into self-employment and actually something I wanted to uh, ask you about just uh, something that you mentioned earlier but for me I think had I continued as an employee then I there would have been a real target around, gee, how early can I retire? When can I, Mm -hmm. you know, can I give it away at 60 or when can I? But as a self-employed person, at this point, at least I'd figure I'd work through till 70. I I mean, I enjoy what I do and I only, I work as much as I want to work. And at the moment I've got dependent family and that sort of stuff. So that means I work a lot, but you know, the days will come where the boys will move out and do their own thing and there'll be less financial pressure. And so if I want to ease off, I can. Mm -hmm. And so therefore be quite happy to as long as the brain's working okay and and, and those type of things I'll be quite happy to work on um, which, which actually gives you a lot more financial
0: Absolutely. flexibility in life yes. because
1: you don't need to be putting every spare dollar into saving for retirement yeah. if your retirement's 10 years shorter or you've got some control over how that's going to unfold so therefore you can do Things like travel and those sort of things, you know, smell the roses a bit more rather than, gee, yeah. how quickly can we retire? And that's been something that's, that's really positive for me. H- how have you found that type of train of thought?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely would have been counting the years. And who wants to count their life away, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that people have asked me, um, being 47 at this point in time, they're not asking necessarily if I'm going to retire anytime soon, but they've asked me questions around, you know, do, do you know when you want? To retire, I'm like, oh gosh, I really actually hope I can work until I'm in my 70s because uh, I love what I do. Um, I get to, I get, I get to do what I love every single day, and mm-hmm. as long as I still continue to have that passion for it, and the working with the people and um, the brain power to do it. Now, do I want to work as hard as I'm working right now? No, not too so much. Mm. But I do think that you know, for me the idea of retiring at this point in time is not in the cards and it's not financially driven necessarily. It's the now I'm emotionally driven to, to stay in in the profession because I just love it so much. And so, yeah, we, we have, um, we, you know, Brent and I are so (laughs) we live the, the sort of snowboard life already. And so what, what would, what would improve that? Yeah, like, What, what would me stop working do to make that any better? Other than I think I would drive him absolutely <laughs> insane <laughs> because if I'm not busy, I'm bugging. So it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just a naturally got to keep the brain body and, and mind busy. So it wouldn't, I don't think it would, um, it would be good for the marriage if all of a sudden I stopped working. So it's, it's always going to have to be a slow transition for me. And honestly, I think that when I get to the point where the practice isn't, um, isn't where I'm at anymore and the staff that are become owners kind of takes it over. I, I think at some point in time, I'm still going to be involved with this profession somehow, whether it's through public education or it's through, Um, you know, going to colleges and talking about the profession or um, writing or, you know, podcasting, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be, you know, whatever it is, I honestly think until I'm no longer functionally able to think or talk, I will probably be involved in this profession. So it may change um style or direction or you know focus but i i just love it you know people have asked me over the years if you want a million dollars what would you do and um now it has to be five million
1: <laughs> Whoop, you're there i've lost you amy i'm not sure if you're still there
0: Battered women, I just think.
1: Oh, sorry, Amy, sorry to interrupt, but it dropped out there. We lost you for a minute. I lost you at where you said, what, oh, you're still there?
0: Oh, for a moment I faded out.
1: Yeah, I lost you there. So <laughs> it cut off, you said, uh, what What would people ask you what you you would do if you won a million dollars? Five
0: million, yeah. So so I would I would form a foundation that helps to re-empower women, battered women, so both okay. financially and emotionally. Um, that would be what I would do with a piece of it. But then another piece of it would be, um, it would be around building a, um, almost like a internship program for students coming out of the financial planning programs here. So they would have to go through like, just like a doctor goes through an internship program, they would need to go through this internship program. And for me, that's how much I love the profession that I would just, that would be like a dream come true for me.
1: Look, fantastic. And, yeah, gee, it's nice to have those things and ideas to look forward to and explore mm-hmm. down the road. Hey, I think we're probably getting to the point where it's, it's nice to bring this one to a close. But one other thing that I know you're passionate about is your wine. So <laughs> tell us, what's your favourite wine? And, and is, am I understanding correctly that you live in an area that, that has a lot of wineries? Is that where yeah. the, the love of wine comes from?
0: Um, I'm not sure if that's how it actually started. I think many years ago, um, like most people, you start on the the sweeter side of wines and you kind of, you know, many people tend to drift towards the, the drier side. But I think that just going around, um, in our area, yes, there is the Finger Lakes region of New York state is very well known for its wineries, its breweries, and definitely some of its whiskey that it's, it's brewing as well. So, excuse me the um the number of wineries that we have in our area certainly is helpful sorry about that um so my favorite wine you asked is it's got to be a tie between a winery that we have here um, called Lakewood. They do a hands-down fabulous Lemberger. Um, very spicy, very dry. Yeah, that's um, not
1: a variety I'm familiar with.
0: Yeah, um, so red Blau- or white? Blau- it's red and Blaufränkisch, I believe, is the German name for it. Okay. Um, and then the other wine that I, it's a it's a great everyday wine that has really good spice. It's a Cab Franc from a winery that is really better known for its sweet wine, but has a very distinctive arm of dry wine, too, and and the name of it is Bully Hill, and it has a whole story behind um, how Bully Hill was formed. If you take me outside New York State, then Chateau Saint-Michel does a wonderful job with their Cab Sauvignon, and there are a few very good Pinot Noirs coming out of Australia. So. (laughs) <laughs> How about you? <laughs>
1: well, it's funny that you mentioned that actually because I think, uh, I mean, I couldn't give you a particular brand. I'm not enough of a, a connoisseur or a drinker. But, but, yeah, if I picked it would be a Pinot Noir down from the Mornington Peninsula probably uh, yeah. if I was looking for you know, at a restaurant or something and looking down the menu, uh, you can rarely go wrong with a Pinot Noir from the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, Heathcote Shiraz, uh, pretty reliable as well. Uh, and Margaret River, Western Australia produces a lot of good wines too. So, uh, yeah, that's
0: not so, one I'm familiar with. Have to yeah, look that one up. <laughs> yeah, Lewin
1: Estate is a good one. And uh, there's a few down there Cape Mentel And I can't think, but I did go mm-hmm. on a holiday there once and, and have a look at a few of the wineries. So, yeah, Margaret River <laughs> certainly produces some nice wines too. So, you'll have to add that to your list to check out.
0: Yeah, Or a destination to check or out. Or a destination, <laughs> even better. True enough.
1: Yeah, no, a lovely part of the world down there. So, yeah, recommend you check it out.
0: You weren't far when you came to the um, FinCon conference. Uh, so we are probably about six mi- or six hours away from Washington D.C. So okay. um, next time, if you make a trip up to the states, you'll you if you are on the East Coast and you're that close, uh, you know, you definitely have to try out some. And Virginia is producing some really decent wines too. They they don't get any recognition, but. I digress. Uh, I could talk about <laughs> wines all day. That's my second passion. <laughs> you got finance and you got wine and either of them I can talk about all day. Well, um,
1: that's the beautiful uh, link with your podcast, isn't it? Wine right. and Dime. That's a nice, <laughs> that's right. uh, nice tying it together. All right. Well, look, Amy, we should wrap this up and uh, I should let you get on with your day. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, yeah, thanks for connecting. And uh, it was lovely to meet you. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So uh, my name's Paul Benson from the Financial Autonomy Podcast. And uh, as you heard, you've been listening to Amy Irvine from the Wine and Dime Podcast. And uh, I so hope you guys here. have enjoyed what we've shared.
0: And we are going to have links in our show notes so that people, if you would like to listen going forward, you can subscribe to Paul's um, podcast and his contact information. It's um, it's so fun to listen to people from other countries, and it's amazing how you you're paying attention a bit more because you have to, right? Yeah, um, it's so I think I think. Um, um, you know, for people that are looking for some new podcasts, don't hesitate to subscribe to his because I think you will really enjoy it. But thank you for arranging this. It was a wonderful um, opportunity that we ran into each other in a very crowded bar yes. <laughs> at FinCon and that we kept that connection and did, and did share our stories because I think, as we said before, we started recording, many people don't know our journey. We know theirs, but they don't necessarily know ours. And this is a great opportunity to share on both sides. So thanks again.
1: Fantastic. Thanks, Amy. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.